This is Melanie Ake. Today on Everyday Leaders, you'll meet Mark Villarreal, a veteran in building organizational cultures. And as a two-time international best-selling author, he will share his secrets to success that he learned from his mom. There are many people to thank for the visibility of the Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 new Airstream mobile podcast studio. Christie's Design and Sign, located in Greenwood, Indiana, is one of the companies. We chose to include Christie to help us create the right messaging and visibility for our new mobile studio. Christie's Design and Sign can help you with your graphic and messaging needs for many projects. If you want a company that goes above and beyond for your business needs, Choose Christie's Design and Sign. I'm really excited to share what's happening at Everyday Leaders. Go to everydayleaders.com. Subscribe to my website where you can learn strategies to become a leader in your own life. On the everydayleaders.com podcast page, you can connect to the guest of the 2019 Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 Leadership Summit and listen to your favorite episodes of the Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. Now, if you're ready to take the next step and become a leader in your own life, go to my Everyday Leaders store, select the Life Strategies courses, corporate strategy workshops, or even personal coaching. Go to everydayleaders.com, subscribe, and keep up to date on all of our programs and valuable leadership lessons. Fifty Mark Villarreal, business leader, consultant, six-time author, and uh, best-selling international um, author. So I'm excited that you're on the program tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be on. Yeah, I love what your concept is. You speaker, coach, consultant, trainer. You know, those of us that live in this space are so passionate about what we do. And you have something that's really interesting on the topic of everybody's tongue today. Brand new book, The Millennial Factor. So that's what inspired me to say, I need you to come talk about this. Because <laughs> many of my <laughs> guests have talked about it in their own space. And so I'm excited for you to teach us about this today. Well, I'm excited to be on and speak about it. Uh, it's funny because I'm actually traveling this week to an organization that reached out and said, you know, we have one millennial that works for us, but we think we're an organization where they would blossom, and for some reason, we're not attracting them. And and we just did a quick few things where I was able to say, well, let me look at a few things. Uh, first, let me look at your website. I'm like, well, on your website, I can't see your mission statement. And uh, you know, millennials want to know their purpose and their reason for existence of the company they're going to work for, because that gives them a purpose on why they're working there. Mm. Second. Let me look at, uh, you know, you got your values on your third page. That's good. But I would put them on your first page. And then the, the next exercise, uh, we, I said, well, let me look at your, you know, uh, your hiring. So uh, how do your job ads look? 
And, you know, they were basically, hey, here's the role that we're hiring for. And that's, that's common. That's great. I said, but, you know, you want to hire millennials. But this, first of all, everything I'm saying that works for millennials works for all age groups. But millennials, you know, are the ones that some of the key points work a little stronger on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said, you know, your ads should say, here's our mission statement. Here's our values that we live by. And here's the job that we're hiring for. If you think this is for you then we'd like for you to apply. Mm-hmm. I said, then you're really driving, you know, they like to, you know, hey, what values does this organization have? And more than just trust and integrity, but are you family oriented? Are you community oriented? If you have things that you're doing in the community, post them on your website because then millennials are like, hey, I like what they're doing. They're looking, they did Habitat for Humanity. That's awesome. And they're just, uh, I, I would say this, if I were to pick 10 things at my age group, you know, I'm in my late fifties, the top 10 things that were important to our age group compared to the millennials, I would say that they're the same 10 things, just the order of importance for millennials is in a different order. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and that's what yeah, I try to get people to understand and, and realize. So that was the first exercise that I did with them. So, and we found it interesting. Well, I think it's, it is interesting to say that because you know, so many times in workforces, in typical industry, right, The our industry in the United States has changed uh, a lot over the past 30, 40 years. And so the workforce has changed. And now the generation, this gap, um, the, p- the workers that are retiring and the, the millennials that are coming in to replace those workers, you know, that's a whole change of, like you say, values, because what am I going to get? Am I going to stay for 30 years for that gold watch? Probably not, right? The, unless I feel some community connection um, that's going to make me feel the value of, of walking through that. So it's a great point that you make. And, you know, one of my other guests said, it's funny, when he was doing a seminar, and he said the first question that he got was, how do you as a, you know, as a baby boomer connect to a millennial in a workplace? And he said, here's the, the simple thing, right? You say, Hello, <laughs> and you introduce yourself <laughs> right, because right. we all we all want to be accepted. We all want to be a part of something bigger, uh, and so so what you suggested to them, you know, by changing that conversation in and maybe just the context or the organized um, presentation, it really does make a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it it truly does. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because. Uh, I'm a person that, you know, I've had success managing millennials. I helped the organization build some call centers, all managed by millennials, and had high success. And a lot of the different things you hear is I believe that good leaders that are strong with, you know, the the, uh, people of my age leading are strong with millennials as well, only because they're very strong in the other areas that millennials look for. So when you said just say hello – Great leaders are great communicators, and millennials like communicators that are transparent, but most of all that they explain the why. Why am I doing this? Why are we going this direction? And they, they, they just feed off it, and, uh, and it's fuel for, for them. The, the other concept you mentioned about you know, nowadays you know, people do jump job to job, but I've heard people say, well, why even focus on millennials if they're not going to be loyal and jump job to job? And actually, it's the last chapter in my book, but it's job versus career. Because my reply is, you haven't shown them what a career is. Mm-hmm. 
That's why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so a lot of people say, well, you know, why work on their loyalty? And I'm like, they will be loyal if you do the right things. Mm -hmm. And and I actually take pride. You look at the back of my book, one of them is a gentleman named Joshua who says, I started working for Mark when I was 20. When I was 23, I bought my first house, which most people say millennials will never, you know, right? Uh, At at age 25, I was earning six figures. And, uh, you know, the few people, you know, of the testimonials that I have on there are people that just built loyalty based upon how we managed. And uh, so it's just you have to understand why are the differences. And a lot of times we shut ourselves off. You know, I I laugh because my dad was a drill instructor before I was born, but I was raised with that mentality. And years later in business, I was in business with him, and he was of the mindset, it's because I said so. (laughs) And that, that doesn't work in today's society. Or let me say it worked with me. But I still would have appreciated knowing why we do things, mm-hmm. you know, and so millennials really thrive on that. And the reason that's important to them is they grew up in the digital age that you and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so they're used to quick answers, more transparency and having access to information. Mm-hmm. So it, it, so that's what's developed their mindset. And so that's what's interesting is, you know, having the capacity to do research today on things of, you know, it may look like this on a a homepage, right? But when you dig a little bit deeper, they want to feel that sense of connection. And, and so I'm a big follower of Simon Sinek and, you know, leaders eat last and start with why and find your why. And I really also connect to that message. And so if you have an exercise and, and you're in front of an, an organization that has millennials, what are one of the, the activities that you might take them through to get them to kind of connect to the mission of the company? Well, first of all, I place it everywhere. You know, so I, I mentioned about the job ads, the website, mm-hmm. but communicate it in the interview process. Uh, one of the exercises I teach anyone in, in hiring in general is we would create a 10 question questionnaire that uh, we when we would go out and introduce ourselves and tell the person hey I'll be right back to grab you for your interview but can you fill this out and it would test our people that were coming for interviews did they know our mission did they know our our, our values vision vision probably wouldn't be accessible because that's internal but do they know who our competitors are what our community involvement was I wanted to find people who had researched us and I can tell you that as you do that word gets out Mm-hmm. Uh, and you start creating a culture and environment, but it has to be everywhere in the handbook. Uh, it has to be, you know, your, your mission should be on your walls, not only for customers to see, but for the employees to see. Uh, and then, you know, obviously leadership has to demonstrate it, but also great leaders point to milestones and victories and always, and so they communicate often. Uh, it, I used to have a sign in my office that said, uh, in, until your employees start mocking you, you haven't said your message enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> I say, you know, great leaders repeat themselves constantly. Mm-hmm. And even when I go present or when I work people in workshops, I let them know from the beginning, I repeat myself constantly. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really the, the first part. And then, you know, I teach about, depending on the size of the organization, how you can have uh, an employee advisory committee and what role do they play and uh, a community involvement committee uh, you know, and a social committee that helps plan your Christmas parties or holiday parties or, you know, those types of things. But but then we also teach how to create an environment that's transparent, that it eliminates any concerns of entitlement, 
that people have on millennials or any age groups. So I teach about uh, two-way accountability from day one, and I explain that to any new hire. Hey, look, we work on two-way accountability. Let me tell you what that means to you is, you know, we will supply to you all the opportunities in our company, what we call career lattices, where you can move laterally up or even down sometimes, but what those roles are and what the skills and the knowledge that are required for those roles. Because what's important uh, to us is we communicate that, that you might take some two-way accountability because if you work to develop those skills uh, and the knowledge on your own or, or you ask us how you can be involved and maybe we can help, we know that you want to move up in our company. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do that, you eliminate any entitlement philosophy that you, that people say millennials have. It eliminates it from day one. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that's one of the big processes that, that we teach, that self-accountability, two-way development plans where you take an interest on their personal goals as well as professional. Uh, and you know it, it, everything becomes more meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really important for companies to embrace, right? The culture uh, that you're developing because so many times you'll find, and not just from you know uh, older generations, but maybe companies didn't have this process of culture. It was this is the way it is. It's established. It doesn't change. And today when you have this multi-generational uh, capability because – the world has changed. It gives us more information, more power, more resources to be better, right, to strategize um, more internally. And so when we have all these personalities, it's sometimes age, but sometimes it's, you know, it's the influence of our personality as well. So I know you're probably a big uh, DISC uh, provider for personality sure. assessments. <laughs> and so when you think sure. like, you know, putting people together together, that can empower a workforce that you have the drivers and you have the socialites, right? And they can work together on projects that then blend the workforce even better, right? Absolutely. And yes, yeah, I I always consult with, you have uh, tests that you give applicants and then tests that you continue while they're employed and, and, you know, assessments as we call them and Mm -hmm. uh, even how to test against the assessments because sometimes people like hey, I'm taking an assessment, let me try to answer the way I think they want me to answer. <laughs> and and a, a good interview process really gets through that mm-hmm. because it's not just yes or no. But uh, diversity is such a great tool today uh, that when people embrace diversity of ages, races, you know, and uh, you know, all, all the diversity that's out there, they really build an uh, environment of innovation and creativity uh, and self-accountability. One of the things, you know, once again, we teach is what's called a uh, self-accountability plan, where no matter what you know, level you are as an employee, even entry level, uh, we teach you to choose an accountability partner that's a peer, could be a different department, that you just meet with five to ten minutes once a month, and uh, that five to ten minutes, you go over what, uh, and we tell you to answer three things each month on what am I going to work on personally for personal development? What well, I'm going to work on professionally. And what's a goal I want to achieve that really has a measure and a number. And when you find that you're holding each other accountable, how much you grow, but also mentor each other. So, uh, yeah, you know, my mom used to always tell me, I want you to always seek mentors no matter what level you are, because you will probably learn more from mentoring other people than you do from your mentors teaching you as well. She said, you know, always seek mentors, but then pay it forward. And and that's what 
we teach that uh, you will see all age groups uh, uh, really grow from this. Uh, and I used an example where uh, I actually chose an accountability partner that people thought, uh, wow, that's probably the person you, you get along with least in our organization, but that's exactly why I chose them. And we developed such a strong relationship and understanding each other's role that the company was better for that. So, you know, one of the seven habits of highly effective people is start with the end in mind. You know, so, you know, it's one of the, uh, you know, big things I preach. I don't, they're not all my tools, you know, great coaches use other tools that are out there and seven habits are, are one of the great tools out there as well is everything is formed by habits, by what you do and, and the mindset that you have. Well, and, and that's hard to learn, right? So when you start and you go, if I, if I am resistant to do this, then it gets more difficult. So learning those habits early to say, I see, I want, I desire this at any age, right? And so I think you know, this message is for a lot of people that say, oh, I don't believe that way, or if they just challenge themselves, right, to get that accountability partner or, or that mentor uh, if they've never experienced that because it can change their life and their perspective. It's so true. It's so powerful. Well, I mean, uh, you, you and I in conversation, I had mentioned that uh, you, I, I have six books on Amazon. Three of them achieved international best-selling status. But, but it's funny, but I had written one book, the first book, that it sat there for a few years. My accountability partner was my wife who said, are you ever going to do anything with that? And I'm like, yeah, let me check it off my bucket list. And uh, so, you know, I learned, you know, found the right editors and everything about the publishing process. And I published it, and three months later, it became a bestseller. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes our biggest roadblocks are ourselves, and that's where accountability partners are good. You know, I say my biggest cheerleader is my wife, and she has more faith in me than I have in myself sometimes. And I need that, but that's what accountability partners do, where they're not only encouraged, but hold each other accountable. And it's a human mindset you know that you have that knowing that someone else is going to look over what you're doing someone else is going to rate it that you quickly uh, develop and change your mindset uh, i i quickly i had a, a, a manager years ago say everyone's adults how come you can't just tell them what to do and they do it <laughs> and i explained because they learned why they were being raised as children what rewards or consequences are and that's how the mindset works. Now, we would I'd rather reward everybody every day and work by rewards, but people have to learn that there's consequences as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this, that's the best way to affect behavior modification. And I tell everyone on day one, and I teach when I help people teach culture, tell your people from day one, you will manage by rewards or consequences. And what you're truly looking for are people who are coachable. And what you're, what you will define is those that are coachable, that are willing to, when they're corrected on consequences, that they're changed their behavior, because they can return to the reward side almost immediately, but that's up to them. Mm-hmm. And if you know, it's just something that you teach from day one and you preach it, and but you have to live it. What do you think has been your biggest challenge in in learning what you've learned this far? Um, and, and really kind of becoming aware of something you were like, aha, that was the aha moment when I decided, yeah, that that's what I needed to know all this time. 
Is there anything that, that kind of struck you through this whole journey that you've developed because you've had so much experience and for, you know, people that are like, wow, you've got a ton of knowledge. You're so wise. <laughs> oh, you know, my biggest aha moment is, has come where I found where I slowed up in growth was when I was afraid of failure. And, uh, and so my big aha moment, because, you know, you know, one of my books is called Leadership Lessons from Mom. My mm-hmm. mom, I always said, was the best leadership coach who chose to be a housewife. Mm-hmm. And she know, she knew I was an introvert. Most people that meet me today said, you were what? She knew I was introverted. And she, so she put me in square dancing and all this stuff because she says, I don't want you to be an introvert. That's important <laughs> to me. You know, but she really worked on my character. But, you know, she would talk about if you're going to be successful, you'll have more, many more failures than you ever will have success because you're not afraid to try. And so that was my biggest aha moment. And, and I laugh because, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, 21 years, uh, I worked where, uh, I was at a C level, always reported to the CEO of an organization in corporate America. And in one of the organizations was a half a $500 million organization a year. And I told that CEO, because he asked me, what's your favorite job of all time? And I said, uh, just, uh, I would say that would be a manager that sits, just sits next to people and coach them all day. Mm-hmm. If I could do that, but if you would pay me still what you're paying me now, I'd do that all day. Mm-hmm. So actually, why I'm doing what I do right now is because the next aha moment is I can actually live my passion and enjoy and love what I'm doing every day and be very content in life. And uh, I challenge people to really find that because it's in everybody. Uh, And I found that more and more when I mentor people. Uh, And I will say this, uh, I've I've had success mentoring a lot of women who were entry-level. In fact, two of my admins that, hey, I want to be an admin the rest of my life. I'm like, you have a lot more skills than that. But it was the self-doubt that they had in themselves, mentored them, and, and they're strong leaders in organizations today that um, it's just overcoming that self-doubt that you have and not being afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. And that's so tough. You know, when you say that, you step into it and then you say, okay, when I experience that, right, because it's that that challenge, it's that middle of the paralysis that I always talk about. Like when you start to move and then you're like, but I can't. My my feet are stuck in the quicksand (laughs) because it feels like that, right? So you've got to just kind of keep thinking through that and get people around you that can pull you into that next phase because many times it's so close, but it feels like it's years away or or, or hours, right? But um, but it just takes that intention. It's that intentional focus. So that is a great point because many people may not have had the environment to believe that they are capable, right? And so with that um, with that awareness, then they they decide, hey, I want to try this. But they must. Uh, people have to step into trying things before they're going to see any kind of that reward on the other side. Well, they have to. They have to embrace it. They have to step into it. They have to be coached through the failure. Uh, And, you know, when I go out and I speak, and especially when I do workshops, uh, and one thing that's helping with my, you know, because I'm a writer, that's helping when I speak and I do workshops is that I happen to be a pretty good storyteller. Mm -hmm. So uh, I tell stories, and a lot of the stories are about myself and about things where, hey, I failed here or I did this. Uh, I was actually teaching business ethics uh, for an organization in North Carolina, 
but uh, and we were talking about harassment and i mentioned i brought up a story where i said the wrong thing in front of a group of people and but how i corrected it how i turned myself into hr but it, but i did it in a way that was professional i conf- the i said a joke that was inappropriate and i said and i said that was inappropriate i should have never said it i uh, i apologized to the person made sure they were fine with it and our next step was i called hr and let them know about it and what i did about it because because i always teach uh, when i teach to make hr your partner mm-hmm. don't be afraid of hr most people don't want hr in their business <laughs> i'm like no make them your partner because <laughs> the things the things we teach especially in the millennial thing when when i take over organizations and the first person i want to talk to is an hr manager they're like what and i'm like i want to tell you what i'm doing mm-hmm. so uh one i want you to be my partner two we can create programs and processes together three i want you to challenge me if you disagree and, and in four um i want you to be totally aware of it so when you hear about it you could say yes i'm well aware of it and here's the intent behind that mm-hmm. you know so uh, it, it's not hey what are you doing and you have to investigate uh, I want you to be a part of it, uh, and uh, when you make you know HR your partner in all things, yeah, your whole organization's better for it anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you have total support. Well, it's all about influence, right? And so if you get the right influencers on your side, and that's a great kind of teaching model, right? So when you're teaching the classes as well, if you did not have the support of leadership, you wouldn't be there. And so it's it's to bring everybody up and raise the level um, of productivity. And so, you know, getting a team to bond isn't necessarily uh, always easy. It's it's the soft skills, right? It's the soft skills that you come in and provide that guidance and and that connectivity on. Um, Because many times, you know, what I've been taught is it you need to touch the heart before you ask for the hand. And many times, just like that bringing the millennials and um, the X generation and the baby boomers all to that same playing field saying, hey, we're equal partners here and our objective is to make the company successful. And so having all of those activities and and possibilities, um, I love your suggestions and recommendations for companies out there that maybe need to get a little bit more visible, you know, to create that journey's journey, um, the buyer's journey story on their website so they can attract the kind of people that can really influence and inspire the organization. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. And, and look, I, I steal this from my pastor and that in church, but he says you have to affect the 12 inches between their mind and their heart mm-hmm. and understand where they're combined. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, so like, I'll quote him on that, Brent Freeman. But, uh, <laughs> it is, it, it is so true though, because as you said, when you touch their heart, they have a purpose, they have a reason, they understand why they, that's where that, because loyalty comes from the heart, not from the mind. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, and so, you know, earning and you know, loyalty is something you earn, just like respect, and but something that you have to maintain. And it's constant. It's not to say it once. That's where I talk about great leaders repeat themselves. But, you know, we talk about even in the book how to create it, what we call a communication plan. What are all the things that we know we need to communicate within the organization? And how are the different ways we're going to communicate that, whether it's through our handbook, whether it's through our training programs? You know, uh, in so many different ways, we have we build a coaching plan. How are people going to be coached on this? And when you start building these plans, you realize how easy it is to create 30, 
30-minute uh, videos to three-minute videos. Uh, and I can tell you that just in time with the quick three-minute videos, uh, all, all age groups thrive on that, but millennials love that because they're used to the quick information, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and then, you know, the more you build that this uh, bad situations can or bad culture can infect the company, but great culture really uh, this gets infectious and this spreads throughout. I always say it starts from the top down, but if it's done correctly, then it works from the bottom up. And, it, you know, and it gets to where you can't stop it uh, to where, you know, well, that makes your job easy. It makes your job easy, and that's what everybody wants, right? How can we do more with the time that we have? Everybody's got the 24 hours in a day, and how do we make that easier? So when we step away, things are going to run smoothly. Uh, so without you, right, it's, it's that whole value perception. It's like, what would they do without Mark? Well, you're not going to be as productive. You're not going to be as happy. You're not going to be as, as healthy as an organization. Right. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I recently just had a conversation with an organization because uh, we were talking about problem solving. And I have uh, in one of my books a problem solving template that takes people around a baseball diamond <laughs> so, uh, because I use that when I coach people how to problem solve. And home plate was values and principles because it's if you know anything about baseball, where you start is where you want to finish. Mm -hmm. And so you want to if you want to start always with what your values and principles are. But as you go around the problem and you solve it, you want to finish uh, with the same values and principles. And, and it teaches them how to solve problems. But uh, one of the things I was preaching or teaching this organization and working with them on was uh, what's wrong with teaching your people how to problem solve? And you do that first by your mission, vision, and your values, and you create parameters that empower them to make decisions. Then you create whatever other parameters each role needs, whether it's how much they can spend, but you teach people to make decisions and that you will coach them where maybe the decision wasn't exactly what you would have done. I said, but when you develop an organization where you're surrounded by problem solvers, then your organization will function without you, and that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And Or, or, or uh, I explained, I had one organization where four of our people who started an entry level ended up being recruited by our corporate office to uh, as regional managers for across internationally. Uh, one person that started uh, on the uh, in the training side uh, as, as, as in a entry level job was recruited to be director of training and operations for all international. And they're like, but you're letting your good people go. I was like, I have plenty of people knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, w when you create an organization that is known for that, uh, you don't have to look for people. They look for you. A and so we would always have the culture that I would explain, and this is a big thing on servant leadership, is I want, you know, uh, my job is to help drive your success. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I do that correctly, mine comes naturally. And, you know, and you come and give us 110% and we'll do everything to advance your career within our organization, outside our organization. And even if you want to own your own business, you give me 110%, you, uh, you know, we, we will reward you correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that just, you know, once again, another additive to th thrive a very strong culture in an organization. Mm -hmm. Such wisdom. It's so important today because many people you know, feel like they have these side hustles or they're trying to do things that they really have passion for. And then they go back to work and they say, oh, I better not tell anybody that I'm doing this. Right. But I think if you are doing it 
if you're intent with the right reasons and you give your all and you are showing up and you are, you are bonding right in your organization and you're producing, there are so many things that people can give you to add value to the things that you love. And it opens up possibilities, like you said, to other positions in the company and other opportunities. And so uh, doing that, following your heart is always the best guide and it's the best advice. And so I love your message, Mark. I think uh, so many people need to hear this. They need to connect to you to come in and help them build their cultures and their companies. Well, I mean, it's, it's one thing that we do. So we enjoy doing that. Uh, you know, one of my books is mission, vision, and values. Mm-hmm. And, uh, You've heard me preach that a lot, but I wrote it because it's an A through Z workbook on how to either roll out new mission, vision, and values or reevaluate your current ones. But And it has every template from email to uh, how do you run your meetings. But uh, it's the big thing is whether you bring us in or, you know, just understand the message of the effect that you can have. And a lot of times, most of the time people don't do it because they're caught in a cycle of, when do I start? How do I start? And that's what we come in and help do that because it's just really, uh, I used to laugh at the movie, What About Bob with Bill Murray, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I sometimes joke around because I do that baby steps to the elevator, baby mm-hmm. steps to, you know, and it's like, just start taking steps forward. Uh, standing still, you're not going to accomplish it. And you'd be surprised that even if you start baby steps, then you start stepping bigger and mm-hmm. you'll start seeing progress but uh once again point to progress that others see it because they may know what the big goal is but point to small wins so they can see the light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. and and that's what we help organizations do so uh, and it's enjoyable to see organizations just flourish and there's great companies out there that do it well Uh, and uh and you know we also you know share some of their stories here's what they did here's what some of their challenges were because uh, everything is, uh, I refer to like a GPS, a roadmap, you know, where you start, you know, where you want to finish, but you know, sometimes that, um, there might be an accident that there's a detour, but that's why you have a roadmap because you know where you have to get off and where you get back on again. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest thing that people don't have is they don't build a roadmap. They just try to think, well, if I keep pushing in that direction, eventually we'll get there, <laughs> but, uh, they get derailed very easily because yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. The vision kind of falters. And, you know, what I've learned from my mentors so many times is is the reminding us that you can't get with somebody if they haven't been there already. So you wouldn't hire somebody uh, to take you to Italy if they hadn't been there, right? And so this is just right, like right. anything else in, in how you organize any kind of an organization, large or small, it starts with culture. And so if you do that right, if you get that part of it right, your company can build and thrive and be healthy and wealthy and wise from it. Yes. But yes. It, it's got to start with the people. And and so, so many of my guests have reiterated that. And, uh, and so it's so important. The value of that is so critical that people get this message today. Well, we say culture is everything, if not anything. And I mean, the culture of your organization is going to drive it to success or drive it to you, you eliminate it. Uh, I, I always uh, talk about good companies in the past that, uh, you know, because I worked in technology for a lot of years that I'll name a company in the 90s that when I was in technology, they were number one in the world and, and uh, Microsoft wasn't. 
but and and being in technology, a lot of us said, yeah, they were even better, but they played it safe. And so I say that's why great companies not only work on culture, but they reinvent themselves constantly. They're, and that's why the empowering people, being innovative and creative. They, and there's a story where uh, Bill Gates uh, once told where he really worked on innovation and empowering his people and creating that culture. And, and that one of his people that he empowered made a million-dollar mistake. And someone asked, well, did you fire that person? And his answer was, no, I have a million dollars invested in them. And um, that was the person that, you know, everything's relative, so that was a billion-dollar organization. But it was within what he was empowered in, and, and that person helped create one of the next great softwares that they had that catapulted them to number one. Mm -hmm. So uh, because of, you know, him creating that culture and environment, I would say they weren't always the best. You used to say if it works buggy, you know, log out and log back in, right? You know, the <laughs> reboot. Uh, but he was always looking for the, the next greatest things where the other company was, well, very stable or this and that. And that's what people want. And it did not prove to be true. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, the culture of uh, let's drive, let's be innovative, let's be creative and let my people be empowered out one the other culture of being safe. That's so that's a great message. That is so powerful, Mark. You're awesome. <laughs> By the way. Oh, no. No, thank you. So I want to ask you kind of one last question here. What would you um, recommend if somebody needs to to do uh, one thing different to empower their organization, what would you tell them? <laughs> Wow, that's a, what one thing to empower their organization. One thing. You know, uh, well, the first I would say is how can they get a third eye view on what they're currently doing? Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's the one thing. Get a third eye view from what they're doing. They can hire people like myself who come in and assess the organization. They can do assessments themselves uh, at the minimum. They should do leadership 360s, uh, which are designed to where on each leader, they send out uh, surveys and assessments that their that the leaders, uh, um, people that report to the leaders take, uh, their peers may take, and their superiors may take, and really understand what, uh, what the environment is. So that's where they can get a good look at it. And you know, leadership 360s, uh, the biggest thing I preach to every leader and I learned it from my mom as humility is a strength, not a weakness. And to have the humility to read it and say, is this true? Is this accurate? Instead of saying, oh, I know who wrote this, you know, uh, which you, you do hear sometimes, mm -hmm. but it will really help them get a grip on reality. Mm -hmm. it's excellent, excellent, excellent advice. I really appreciate you, Mark. This has been so much fun. <laughs> You've taught me oh, a yeah. lot, a lot tonight. How can our listeners get a hold of you for services, for contact, for your books? How can we get a hold of you? Well, my website is my name, uh, www.markvillareal.com with one R and Villareal. So I do spell it incorrectly uh, if, for the Hispanics out there saying it's with two R's. But uh <laughs> And, and my email is mark at markvillareal.com, so we make that easy. And my books are on Amazon, uh, that uh, anyone interested in my books out there, uh, they that's my passion. And I'm, obviously, I'm two chapters in or on the third chapter of my next book. So, uh, you know, always uh, having 
the ne- that's what keeps me young. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> always thinking about what's next or what else can I do. Well, they say writers write, right? So that's that's part of it. Correct. <laughs> writers write. Writer write. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Everyday Leaders. This has been just a joy, and I hope to get your message out, inspire organizations, and have them come in and help you really reach reach their level and influence their culture changes uh, throughout the United States and internationally because you go everywhere. So thank you for your time this evening. Yeah, well, thank you, and it's been a pleasure. Hi, I'm Melanie Ake with Everyday Leaders. I wanted to invite you to join my leadership class. It's Life Strategies 101, where I'm going to take you through the everyday 15 laws of growth. It's an amazing journey. It's 15 weeks with me as your personal coach. Join me, everydayleaders.com, and sign up today.